one of the key characteristics I can see which holds back leaders as they move forward is almost as you move the entrepreneurial to the scale-up phase, they need to go and let go. And that ability of those individuals to let go is, has been a significant challenge. A lot of people cannot let go and move on. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello. Today, I'm speaking with and learning from Stuart Ross. We're talking about the book he's got due out in a couple of weeks, but his background, he's, he's now a business coach, but he started life as a buyer for Burton, Arcadia Group, and then he joined Boots and he was part of or led a number of innovations at Boots. He launched their first website and... <laughs> Either they wouldn't pay for the dot-com at the time. The IT manager would only let him have 25 quid for the .co.uk. So years later, they had to spend a fortune to get the dot-com brand. Um, he launched some innovations in Hull. They did a sort of half-hour delivery. You know, that feels like it's just a thing today, but that was back in the late 90s on digital TV in Hull. He launched the meal deal. So now almost everyone on the high street has a buy a bag of crisps and a sandwich and a can of coke and it's a deal and that was one of his innovations he worked on the advantage card which was an interesting split revenue split between the consultancy that developed that and boots he rolled a brand out in japan so he spent very successful career with boots doing a whole load of innovative work and after that career he launched uh, his consulting coaching business called high growth in 2012 and he works with a range of clients across the uk and the u.s so we're going to have a chat with Stuart. He has been featured also in The Guardian, The Telegraph and by the BBC, particularly around what it takes to build a scale-up business. Great conversation. Really enjoyed talking to Stuart. Could have talked to him all day. I'm sure he'll enjoy it. My name is Stuart Ross. I run a company called High Growth, where we're focused on helping organisations wishing to go and scale their sort of businesses, making the the job of scaling both easy and enjoyable and avoiding the errors and the challenges along the way. Stuart, brilliant to have you on. It's always nice to interview another coach and see where their background, how they've ended up in coaching and pick their brains on the things that are working. Do you have a speciality or do you bring your, you know, your, your functional expertise to coaching? You know, what's your, how do you end up coaching? <laughs> Um, so how did I end up with coaching? Good point. So my background within this sort of retail, so originally, you know, within the likes of um, Boots or uh, and uh, Arcadia as fashion buying, heading up some of the retail areas, I ended up working and heading up joint venture for a company called British Land, 
which is a tech company, which uh, we, I scaled up very quickly for them and sold off. And then I spent six months coaching the British Land Board about how to go and run you know, a PLC company. And I fell in love with coaching. I fell in love with basically the whole people management side. And so I followed my passion then, which was really about helping businesses scale. So for the last what, about 14 years, I've been running a company called High Growth. And the particular focus is helping companies focus on really four areas. And these are the four areas which I find really make a difference helping companies scale. One's around leadership. Secondly, around building a high performance team. Thirdly, around creating a strategy to keep ahead of your competitors. And fourthly, around implementing that strategy consistently. You master those four areas, then you can achieve your vision. So that's where my passion is. And we use a framework called High Growth Framework, which, which helps companies uh, um, implement that successfully. And you've got um, you've got a new book coming out. Yeah, yeah, the the scale up leader. Because um, one of, one of the areas I always find you know interesting because you look at all the various methodologies and frameworks how to go and grow your companies. And I've been on loads of programs. I've coached you know loads of um, of companies and stuff on them. Um, they focus very much on the actual content, you know, and their knowledge. What they fail to focus on is really, I think, really, really what makes the difference between those companies that are successful scaling and those which aren't, and that's the actual leadership. And as a leader, you've got to be in the right place to enable you to go and scale your company successfully. So my new book is called The, the Scale Reader. It focuses on saying, are you ready to go and scale, not as a, only as a business, but also you as a leader? And what are those 10 particular characteristics or strategies that you need to go and master as a, as a leader as you move from the entrepreneurial to the scale-up phase of a business? Is there one that's hardest? Or is there one, or is there one that is least obvious? There are some... Um, they're harder for some individuals versus others because it's down to you as an individual and also in terms of where you are and your makeup as to what makes it hard and what doesn't make it hard. The point I always start with, though, is saying yeah, you need to go and make the decision whether scaling your business is right for you. Yeah, it's not a part-time job. You can't just be interested in scaling your business. You need to go and be a 100% committed. It's only if you're 100% committed can you really go and achieve that success. Recognizing if you're going to be that committed, that's also going to affect other areas of your life. It's going to affect your family. It may affect your health. It may affect um, you know, how much time you're going to spend with your friends. So you need to look in terms of, right, are you ready for that? Are you ready to make those challenges and those trade-offs to enable you to then go and move forward? And is that, I'm guessing that's, I mean, we've got some clients who, who would look like that where they've been running a business successfully for a period of time. And then for whatever reason, they've said, you know, I, I, I don't know, our, our 5% a year growth is not enough. Now what we want to do is do 25 or that, you know, it's run as a lifestyle business, but there's no asset value at the end. So now it's okay. Now we need to scale it because I, I want to exit this business and do something else. And and I can't sell it as it is today because it really doesn't feel like the exit value would be enough for my life's work, if you like. It's like anything, isn't it? It's like getting fit. Like you can't wish yourself fit. You actually have to go and work out what you're going to do and then put some sweat in. Yeah, you've got it. And it, exactly as you say there it, it's changing who you are and putting in those right habits and those right behaviors to enable you to go and actually scale you, yeah if you continue to do what you always done you're always going to get what you always get the only way you're going to go and change and move to the scale up phase is if you go and change yourself the organization is very much a mirror of where you are or your team is you know as a leader 
Yeah, I say all the time to people, the company can't outperform its leadership. Yeah, totally. They can wish. <laughs> they can wish all they like, but it's totally. not going to happen. Are these 10 things based on some research you've done, or is this uh, a sort of your life's, your life's experience? A mixture of both. It's, it's a mixture of research. It's also a mix of my learnings from working directly with about 500 sort of companies over the last 14 years as to what have been the biggest barriers and biggest challenges the leaders had to go through as they go and scale their businesses. Yeah. Assuming people want to put the effort in, if you're going to coach somebody, how do you know that they've decided to put the effort in and you believe them? <laughs> how, do, how, do you measure, how do you measure their, because you know, there's nothing more depressing than coaching a client and then realizing they're not, they're not doing, they're not prepared to do the work. It's, it's frustrating for both parties. What, how do you judge that? Uh, that? That's a great question. I think part of the way you actually judge it is their awareness of what they're about to go and embark upon and also the size or their reason why. Because if the reason isn't, you know, strong enough, then yeah, people will find excuses not to go and do things. So that why and that emotional connection to that why yeah, needs to be what that key driver is for that individual. Uh-huh. Do you have some good examples? Very often it goes down to the legacy they want to go and leave their children, for example. Yeah, it goes beyond them. Or alternatively, yeah, it's, it's almost a contribution, the legacy they want to go and leave you know, in the world. Importantly, it's not about... But this way, it's not about the own individual's sort of ego. It's not about their significance. It's not about them being seen sort of you know the best in their field. It's more about, um, I, I guess, giving back. It's more about that contribution side. There's a brilliant phrase I think from is it good to great um, and Jim Collins, and he, he, he describes in terms of the time tellers and the clock builders. Yeah, and the time tellers are those which watch the time. It's all about them. Everything's centered around them. Whereas the clock builders are those leaders which are really building a legacy. So the actual organization or the company is going to live and stuff beyond them. And what I personally find is the time tellers, yeah, there's only a finite time journey and stuff with them. But the clock builders, those are the ones that are really passionate. They're going to go and put in that extra effort. They're the ones which are going to work through the struggles and the barriers to enable them to go and be successful. So the challenge is, you know, are you a time teller or a clock builder? And the clock builders are the ones which I believe ultimately achieve that success. Uh-huh. What else do you need as a leader in, the, in a, in a scale-up? Well, there's, there's a whole load of, of characteristics. I mean, the first one is you need to make sure you develop the right habits. Sounds obvious, but, you know, when you talk about habits, who you are, you know, as the term of your habits, you practice on a day-to-day basis. So the key habits I'd encourage people to develop are things like things like energy management, things like, you know, time management. You know. Hang on, stop there. Energy management, go back to that. I mean, I've Chris Barris-Brown and I, when he and I were on the podcast, he was, you know, his big thing is about energy management. But what does it, what do you mean when you say that? So instead of time management, think of energy management, your, your body typically throughout, you know, a day, throughout, uh, a week throughout sort of quarter will follow a typical cycle yeah when you feel more energetic and you need that recovery time put it another way when you think of um top performers out there whether it's athletes whether it's maybe actors what do they tend to do well they tend to perform about what five ten percent of the time yeah and the rest of the time is spent in training or recovery in business it's the other way around yeah, you expect the business owner to typically work, you know, at probably 80, 90 percent of the time and they spend very little time sort of recovering. So you need to get that balance back in there. 
So when you talk about the basics of energy management, it comes down to things like what we call the ultra rhythm. So basically every 90 minutes, you will go through a natural bodily cycle where you need to have a break after 90 minutes to go recharge before you move on to the next 90 minutes. Have you built those good practices in place? What about, okay, the time you actually work? Are you a morning person? Are you an evening person? How do you actually make sure you actually maximize that time from the day? Jeff Bezos says he doesn't make decisions in the afternoon. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) And right there through to, okay, what practices do you have to make sure you do go manage your energy from the way you eat, from the way you you sleep? So I think sort of, yes, Chris, I think Jeff Bezos is is a classic one around sort of sleeping and stuff as well, making sure he gets his set eight hours every, every single day. Right there through to the degree of exercise and stuff you do. All those things are important to go manage your energy because you're feeling in the good place. That's when you start producing your, your best results. That's when you make those, those critical decisions successfully. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because as you said earlier, the, uh, the, the organization is a mirror of you. And, and if the CEO's habits, the CEO's habits can have a huge impact on, on the organization. You know, I've worked in some companies where the CEO's pretty fit. And, you know, most then, then you end up looking at the executive team maybe a year later and they're all quite fit. And along the way, the people, the people who had no interest in exercise just sort of end up dropping off. And it's not, and it's, you know, it's not a specific, there's no specific desire to mold the executive team around that, you know, fitness habit, but it just sort of happens. It starts to coalesce. Exactly. Yeah. I think John Caldwell, um, from mobile phones, whatever, was uh, the classic around that in terms of him running some marathons, going out running every sort of lunchtime and having the team around him. But I remember the days when I started, God, many years ago at, at the Burton Group, the CEO, then a guy called Sir Ralph Halpern, he used to have a gym, you know, underneath his office. He had the jacuzzi in his office, but the, the gym was underneath his office. <laughs> and, you know, if, if you're anybody, if you're ambitious, which tend to be either the, uh, the senior execs or, you know, the, the young guys, you know, starting off, we were down there at 6.30 every morning training with them. Simple practices. But again, that still rubs off today. Yeah, every day I'll, I'll be out running, you know, for about 30 minutes every sort of morning. Again, to make sure I'm in the peak energy state. Yep. What other personal habit tips do you have? Well, around habits, one of the key things building on what we were just saying is particularly how the how do you get into the actual right mindset every particular day? Because your mindset affects your behaviors, which goes affects your results, you know, and it's a cycle. So one of the, the key things I'm passionate about is making sure, again, everybody I work with, you know, make sure that they follow what I call you know, the miracle morning. And again, there's a great book there by a guy called Hal Elrod you may have come across. I have, I have to say, I have to say, I, you know, I've got, I have small children, but I mean, I read the miracle morning and I think, yeah, get up at five o'clock in the morning, get up at four o'clock in the morning. I'd be going to bed before the children, like, and and I can't, I can't see that washing in my house. But you know, I do I do get up at six and exercise. But four o'clock in the morning, I'd be I I I need nine hours. I'd be going to bed at eight o'clock, seven o'clock. I I wouldn't be able to go out for dinner anymore. So no. you know, but but strangely, I've yeah, I've been doing this for about eight years and stuff now. Um, I, I, okay, I go to bed normal time, probably at 11, 11.30, but every morning I'm up at um, 6.15. Yeah, I don't need to set an alarm. I will actually go and wait automatically. And I literally, I go through, in effect, the, the routine. They talk in, in the book, The Miracle Morning, which I think is called Savers, which is yeah, a bit of meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and journaling. Yeah, I will do that every, every single morning. It takes one hour. But again, that puts me in the optimal state you know, for the rest of the day. 
It's funny, isn't it? Because I think there's something about you feel, you know that you are then in a fraction of 1% of the world's population that are doing a thing, right? And so it puts you in a position where you have decided to do something. It, do you know what I mean? It puts you in some, in your own mind, in your own definition of what good looks like. It puts you in an elite. I do a cold shower every morning, you know, so, you know, like Wim Hof, two minute cold shower. And again, you know, you just, you go, I know most people wouldn't want to do this because they, they don't like the discomfort. And it's that sort of, you know, put yourself in some sort of discomfort and you've already won once. Like, you know, the day probably doesn't get nastier than a cold shower at six o'clock in the morning. So, uh, you know, you've already overcome something. And you say that to a lot of people and they just look at you like you're completely mental. But it does wake you up. <laughs> it does. It does. And one of the things I, I read, uh, you know, Michael Mosley, he of the 5-2 diet. Yeah. So he did a series on BBC uh, radio recently about habit stacking. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was habits that lead to longevity sort of science back. So it was like, have a cold shower in the morning, have a hot bath before to bed, go, before you go to bed, if you can't sleep, um, stand on one leg yeah, yeah. whilst brushing your teeth. So I went, okay, well, that's dead easy. If that stops me falling down the stairs and breaking a hip when I'm 80, and all I have to do is stand on one leg when I brush my teeth, that's, that costs nothing. And once you started to do it, and so then and then you've got, then it's all sort of habits and rituals, you know, and as you said, well, even time blocking, you know, saying, right, there are certain times of the day, as you say, that I do my best work, I'm going to do that or change. I won't allow people to book meetings in the morning if, if meetings are an afternoon thing. It's being deliberate. Even, even time for strategy, uh, you know, when we're running workshops, we'll do, we'll say, you know, color code your diary, even think about your diary in terms of red is admin, blue is revenue and black is strategy. Where are you spending your time? And often, you know, CEOs will just sit there and go, well, it's all red or it's all blue. And there's just very little black. And it's like, okay, well, how do you, you know, you're not going to be strategic if you don't, if you don't make it a habit. hundred uh, percent. And, and what, what's interesting, certainly the conversation I have with most of my clients at the moment is, okay, they've, they've entered the, the new year. They've set their goals or what they want to achieve or their intentions over the next year. The question I was asking, okay, well, who are you going to be? Who do you need to be to go and achieve that? Because the danger is, again, people will end up continuing the way they were over the last year. Yeah, They need to go and change the habits and who they are to become. The person needs to become to go and deliver the goals they need to achieve. What do you think about the people that they hang out with? <laughs> Have you read my book? <laughs> no, I no, I haven't. I'm just, but I, uh, you know, this this whole thing about, you know, there's this sort of, you know, the, you are the summation of the people you hang out with. And Robert Dunbar published a book last year called Friends. And, and you know, in the, the Dunbar number that many people are familiar with is he said, look, you can hold sort of three-dimensional relationships of maybe 120 to 150 people in your head. And therefore, business units shouldn't be more than 100 people. Uh, but he also says that you spend 60% of your time with about five people. And, and you know, then you spend... I think, and he's got some, you know, sort of circles of concentric circles of where you spend your time and this whole, you are the sum of the people you spend the most time with. And so, so the, the, the couple of things building on that, I mean, for me, that that's one of the other characteristics you, you need to be sort of addressing as you go and scale up. Yeah. Who do you need to go and spend time with? You know, exactly as you said, I think Tony Robbins said it originally, you know, who you spend time with, you know, who's who you become. So one of the simple exercises I, I get clients to do is, okay, if you do a two by two matrix, on one axis, you've got 
basically givers and takers. And on the other axis, you've got positive and negative. Go and divide those people you're spending your time with, including your family, into each one of those quadrants. And clearly, the ones you want to spend most time with are the positive ones and the givers. Yeah, those are the energizers. Those are going to support you with the way you want to go. But then you've also got those sappers, those negative individuals that constantly go and take the stuff from you. Those ones you need to go and eliminate you know, as best you can stuff from your life. But the point is, again, review who you need to become. Who's going to help you get there? Have you got that right circle of friends or, or people you're going to spend time with you know, around you? And that includes not only those, uh, your peers, your family, your, your friends, but also what books and stuff are you reading? What videos are you watching? What podcasts are you listening to? All those will help you become the person you need to become to achieve your goals. It's all part of that sort of curiosity, isn't it? Like this isn't, you know, lots of things have been written and said about these topics. And so, you know, if you're curious, you will go and find books to read, podcasts, podcasts about things, habits or fitness or energy management or what have you, if you're, if you're curious. Have you got examples where you've, you've had people you thought were ready to make the transition and didn't or people who thought weren't and then succeeded? Is there any, anything you've been surprised by? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, with, without doubt, I think over time you can spot almost those ones which are going to struggle and those ones which are never going to make it through and those ones which are going to make the journey readily easy to that next stage. One of the key characteristics I can see which holds back leaders as they move forward, is almost as you move the entrepreneurial to the scale-up phase, they need to go and let go. Yeah, when you're proving your business, you're running around doing everything. You're setting up the systems. You're you're servicing your customers. You're doing your sales. You're doing the HR. You know, and it's a small team doing that. When you move to a scale-up, yeah, you need to start putting those systems in place, and all of a sudden, you need to start trusting those team you've got around you, and that ability of those individuals to let go. It has been a significant challenge. A lot of people cannot let go and move on. There's a really good book, uh, which you probably have by Liz Wiseman, called Multipliers. Yeah, where they split out diminisher and multipliers. Again, when you're an entrepreneur, when you're starting out, you're very much a diminisher. You're, everything's under your control. You're micromanaging. You're making sure you're delivering. You're giving your best service. The challenge you've got as you become a scale-up leader is you need to move to become more of a multiplier. And the way you go and do that is by letting go and trusting. A lot of individuals will struggle making that transition. Part of it, due to stories or backgrounds or something which happened to them in the past, many of them as a kids, you know, their beliefs, their values, whatever. But that's often very much a challenge. Well, or, or just being busy. You know, I've worked with some clients, got a great example in my mind where, you know, these two guys just said to us, we just hate this. Like th this is just awful. It's like Groundhog Day. We get up and we go to work and we fail every day and we look at the team and the team look at us and they know we're failing and we just hate this. So either help us to love it again or just like take it off us and sell it, give it to somebody. We sort of, we've just got to the point where we don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. And they had this sort of parent child relationship going on with their teams. And because the that's how they did it, they'd step in and do it all the time disempowering everybody there was no point in actually finishing anything because the team knew that the boss would finish it and they behaved that the same way with their team but they're busy i mean it's a successful business and they're busy and so it's now going to take longer for anything to happen if they if they stop doing what they were doing and so it took a little while for them to trust that people would actually 
do the work if they were just given the space. Mm-hmm. Five years later, they love it and they haven't sold it, and they're very, very happy. Right. But it's just, it's just hard. And I mean, they were just in this awful sort of mental spiral. They couldn't see a way out. It had got really dark for them. I'm glad they, I'm glad they reached out because you know they, you know, otherwise they, they would have just walked away from it. I think. Mm. And that, that, that's a great example. I, I see that often. And one of the key things I, I get clients to do is as they start going through that i mean but clearly you know as as they move forward you start to scale you need to be spending your time as a leader of a company on the highest value activity you know within that business you know so you're playing to your strength or your superpower so one of the things i get them to do on a daily basis is instead of doing a to-do list get them to produce a two-stop list i get them to do that for two weeks and that is very often enlightening in terms of okay there's all this stuff i should be stopping yeah, with, and should be delegating, which is going to free up and give me more time to go and actually grow my business. How good do you think people are at spotting their superpowers? And are there, do you use any tools or is it uh, you just get them to take them on a journey of discovery? Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I, I do retreats. And one of the key things I do on retreats is take people through a journey to go and help them connect again with you know, who they are, you know, their authentic self and really what drives them. And yeah, one of the exercises we do that do within the retreat is we identify, you know, as say people's passion or their superpower. And generally, it's something which has, they were passionate about when they were a kid, which they've totally forgotten about. You know, when they were, you know, six, seven years old, in terms of where they were spending their time, where they were spending their energy, what they really got them excited. You take them back there, they start getting glimpses about where their true passion is. And what again? Give me some. Give me some examples. Like model railways, or no? I mean, you're thinking of you're talking about the way in which they interacted with people. Well, everything from the way, for example, they interacted with people, um, right there through, you know, people forget in terms of the, their passion, for example, around sports when they were young, you know, that age, or their passion even around their creativity and drawing, and uh, right the way down to cooking. Yeah, it, it, a whole load of stuff they start connecting with and start saying, okay, I've forgotten, you know, I really love that. They start connecting and stuff back up with that to drive their passion forward. It's fascinating, isn't it? And I mean, if you take that example, I guess you're thinking about somebody in particular. How did how did they then link that reawakening that passion to leading differently in their business? Um, they close their business and open up a restaurant. <laughs> okay, I see. I see. Right. Okay. But, yeah, they love it now, whereas before they resented their business, they were working you know, for the business. They weren't following their passion. They weren't following in terms of you know, that stuff which really energized them, what they're really good at. Yeah, by taking through this process, they said, okay, what I really enjoy yeah, is the whole food side, the cooking side. So, yeah, they ended up pivoting totally their business yeah, and yeah, opening a restaurant and a food bar as a result. That's funny. I spoke to I spoke to a CEO recently, and the conversation was basically he said to me that he just hated his job. And I said, "Well, why do you stop doing it then?" And he said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, look, it's your business. You're the CEO. What is it that you enjoy doing in your business?" And he told me it was you know one of the uh, creative roles. I said, "Well, why don't you do that?" And he said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, you don't have to be the CEO because you own the business. Income, equity, and control are three separate things." You know, you could own the business and be the technical, be the creative director. Somebody else could yeah, exactly. do the things that you don't like to do. And it, and it was, and it just, it had never occurred to him that he didn't have to do the things that he didn't enjoy doing anymore, yeah. which is, it's sort of staggering 
to me. But then, you know, we're looking at it from the outside and he's somehow, you know, he's running the biggest business he's ever run. He's had no formal training around being a CEO or running a business. You know, he started something, it's become quite successful. And and the job he was doing at the beginning got it to be successful. And now the job he's doing, he hates. Mm. And, and it's just fascinating that people turn up and are the, the, the business owns them, if you like, rather than mm. them getting any joy or energy from it. It's fascinating. But, and, and just building that, what's, what's also fascinating is when you take, um, when you go back into people's lives, did they really cho- choose their career path? Or was it something, for example, a teacher said to them? Or was it something, for example, their parents' expectations of them? And I'm always astounded by the amount of um, leaders I come across who appear successful, but exactly as you said, they're not enjoying it. And when you look as to, okay, what's the reason why? Well, I was pushed into this when I was a kid, or I was pushed into this sort of route, and it's almost become yeah, laid out for them because they ended up being good at a certain A-levels or whatever. And hey, presto, they're not doing it in terms of what they really enjoy, where they're passionate. Well, back in the day, I used to uh, sell drugs for Glaxo. And um, I, I used to come across that every day because I'd see, you know, the the people I was calling on were doctors and they'd got three A's at A-level, so they went to medical school. Exactly. And their passion wasn't communication skills and now they're spending 60, they're 60% of their time chatting to incontinental ladies. And they're like, why have I wasted my intellect and seven, eight, nine years of my life to be doing this job that I hate? And that was so depressing. But they just they just felt they were stuck. The sink cost fallacy just kept them doing it every day yeah unbelievable what else have you got in the book that um when's it when's it due out because it's not out yet is it uh, in a couple of weeks it's going to be due out on um available on amazon and stuff so yeah it's called the uh, the skeleton leader so yeah it'll be um, available then but i'd say it goes through strategies and it goes through exercises and give you coaching exercises as well to work through each of these strategies but um yeah, we mentioned a couple of them like letting go developing the right habits other ones for example live in the future but be present in the now what I mean by that is you look at the most successful companies and business leaders out there, you know, think of your Elon Musk. He's brilliant you know, at actually creating a story and creating a vision about how SpaceX is going to be in the future when it's revolutionizing it's space transportation and making life multiplanetary. And it's almost his team are there now. They're living and breathing that into the culture today. Yeah, so you know, part of the skills leaders defining a compelling vision, but also living yeah, being that team, the individuals, the leaders today. But on the other side of the coin, yeah, you also need to face the truth and confront the brutal facts also happening to you on a day-to-day sort of basis. So, again, you look at the likes of Dyson or uh, who's it, Jim Carrey, uh, Sylvester Sloan, you know, all those guys. All those guys had a clear vision of, of where they wanted to go and who they wanted to go and be. They weren't achieving it and they were having to confront the daily reality of living and surviving on a day-to-day basis to go and focus on where they need to get to. So, you know, part of that uh, skill you need to develop, I believe, as a scout leader is having that balance between the two, you know, that balance between living in the future but also confronting the brutal reality of what happens on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I was I, I was in, impressed when uh, Elon Musk, when Tesla had this, where he, when he'd said they were going to hit this, production goal and and then he found himself sleeping in the factory you know that on getting his hands dirty sleeping in the factory every day energizing the team to you know they put up marquees they extended the production line into the car park 
you know, to, to hit a goal. And that's the, some people are good at the vision, but aren't, aren't good at the execution. And so that was a great example of being present in the now, right? It's like, let, we, there's a hurdle we need to overcome today, right? Not just a pretty picture for the future. Stuart, what, um, what is it you now know that you wish you'd known earlier? Oh, that's a great question. I think two things I'm going to throw on that. One is um, basically you've got to make sure you enjoy the journey. And, and again, a key part of, of this book is about how are you going to enjoy the journey while you're going to scale your business? Too often you, I've been to, totally focused on achieving a certain goal or uh, focusing on yeah whatever needs to be done to go achieve the results which, uh, which were needed as opposed to really enjoying the actual journey and pacing at a, at a a pace where I can go and enjoy that journey. So I think that's one thing. Make sure whatever you do on a day-to-day basis, make sure you're enjoying it. Yeah, that's critical. How do you go and make sure you enjoy it? The other thing is just being aware and you know that you have shit times. You know, as as you go and scale read, as you go and grow companies, you will have challenges which you need to go and work through. But always remembering, you know, it will pass. Don't go totally obsessed by it. Almost detach yourself from it. Just recognize, okay, that's where we are at the moment. Yeah, it will pass you know, in a week, a day, maybe a month or so, but it will always pass and allow you to then go move forward. Do the clients that you're working with scaling up, are they scaling up to exit or are they really driven by that building a more sustainable business? I, I think it probably it's split about 50-50. I exited about seven companies sort of, uh, last year very successfully and again they've been through the actual process it's taken between three and five years to get them from that place to from scaling to to the exit other companies yeah they want to just scale to build legacy not quite sure what they want to do but it gives them the option importantly as well other than scale-up leader which people should buy in the next couple of weeks and in fact by the time this goes out we might already be there they can jump straight on amazon we'll put we'll put links to it in the show notes what other books have been useful to you inspirational books you think people should pick up and read so the one which i'm particularly enjoying and reading at the moment um is four thousand weeks absolutely brilliant by oliver berkman i think it is um but it's a phenomenal phenomenal book and it totally changes the way you look at time and you value time and you look at your life to make sure you actually go and get the most out of it so that's a fantastic book i'm probably about 80 percent through but i'm really really enjoying it i'm one of the best books i've ever read without a doubt it's that sort of perspective isn't it it's like look if you're not enjoying it why are you doing it and also the i suppose for me and most of the clients that i work with you know like you are undoubtedly from my perspective more than halfway through you know there's um there's a really interesting exercise i get people to do occasionally which is uh to get an a4 piece of paper have you done this exercise where you draw the line so take an a4 piece of paper and say okay this a4 piece of paper uh let's assume that this is how many four thousand weeks right right let's assume this a4 piece of paper represents my life and pick and assume death draw a line across it where you are now and then when you might retire right and and you know you and you're asleep and you're at work and it just you start to realize that actually what you've got left where you could make an impact it's sort of that sort of you go from you've got your whole life and then it's actually what you've got what you've got left and where you might make an impact and what you might do with every day mm. is mm. it's uh, it's sobering it gets, it gets you thinking, without a doubt. 
And so what else What else you got? A couple of other ones. Uh, probably Effortless uh, by Greg McGowan. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. He is the original author of Essentialism, but all about how do you actually go and um, approach each day, each process, whatever, and make them totally effortless. Uh, so that's a great book and get you, gets you thinking. Another book, which is, uh, I won't say woo-woo type sort of book, we, we talked about energy <laughs> earlier, um, but I... Again, one of the best books I, I've read around managing your energy uh, and incorporating some rather different techniques to help manage your energy is called The Energy Codes by um, Dr. Sue Mortimer. Oh, sorry, Dr. Sue Mortimer. Um, but that, that's a great way to manage your energy on a daily basis to make sure you're totally aligned and, um, yeah, to make sure there's no negativity enters your body. So, yeah, it's a fantastic book as well. Fantastic. Just as a sort of final thing, what should people do tomorrow? Have you got a top tip? Something that people should change tomorrow? Well, apart from the cold shower. Yes, and getting up, a, getting up early. Well, in all seriousness, watch the, a couple of things that I recommend people do. Firstly, in terms of, yeah, get up, go and have that cold shower because it certainly wakens you up and it totally sort of bring you straight into the present you know, and into the day in a, in a, in a totally um, different way than you would otherwise. Just watch the impact that that has. The other thing I, w- I would also sort of focus on is, is around contribution. So again, are you asking that question on a daily basis? What are you doing to go and help sort of people or help others, help them to move forward, add value into people's lives? Because that's when you feel, you know, more energized. That's when you go and feel at your best. You and me, you know, we're in that profession. You know, we're in a fantastic job where we do that on a day-to-day basis. But for you know, other individuals as well, what are you doing? Whether it's your family, whether it's your team, whether it's people you go and connect with, what are you doing to go and help individuals on a day-to-day basis? Stuart, thank you very much indeed. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thanks, Dominic. Good luck with the book launch. Thanks. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.